Hey, this is Neil Bawa, the Mad Scientist of Multifamily, and you're listening to the Mailbox Money Show with Bronson Hill. This is the Mailbox Money Podcast, and I am Bronson Hill. As a busy professional, I wrestled with how to grow my income without taking up more of my precious time. I learned that managing real estate, actively trading stocks, or being unable to scale up investments is not passive investing. This is the place where you'll discover new asset classes, develop investing skills, and learn from experts how to become financially free with less work than you thought possible. And now, get ready for truly passive income. Welcome to the Mailbox Money Show. My name is Bronson Hill. Welcome, welcome. Um, Today with me, I have Casey Chohan, who's an awesome friend, just a great guy, talks a lot about tax strategy and entity protection. And why those are important is because if you're paying, if you're a high earner, you're typically paying uh, 30, 40% or higher in taxes. And there's a way to potentially reduce taxes, sometimes defer or even eliminate taxes. There's entity protection you can set up in case you get sued, as well as just kind of siphoning things. And there's reasons why, if you're wealthy, you should consider doing that. And so most of the people that I know that have a net worth of more than uh, a couple of million are always looking at ways to reduce taxes. They're always looking at ways to try to protect their uh, you know, protect their assets so they don't get sued, particularly in the U.S., which is a very sue-happy place. So Casey Chohan, he leads uh, Together CFO, a uh, great guy. I've actually been on his show as well. I encourage you to check out his stuff. Just a, just a stellar guy, also part of an entrepreneur's group I've been a part of, and really interested in helping investors grow their wealth and protect their wealth. So Casey, welcome. How are you today, man? I'm fantastic. Thank you for having me on. It's good to see you again. Good to see you as well, man. I just, every time I talk with you, I feel like I learned something and I always get some value. So I'm really excited. I know we met through uh, Mark Moss, a mutual friend, and we were both speaking at an event or an event, but why don't you give people a little bit of background? Obviously, it doesn't sound like you're uh, you know, from Los Angeles originally. So give us like a little background of kind of where you're from and kind of what, what it is you do. Yes, yeah, so Casey Chohan, born and raised in England, as you can probably see from the soccer jersey in the background there. Um, my background is in accounting and finance, went to a red brick, which is the equivalent of the Ivy League school in England, <laughs> with business finance and accounting as my majors, then went into the corporate world, as it were, straight out of university, did eight years with a huge corporate company, Floor, FloorServe was the name of the company, Fortune 500. $4 billion, eight years later, worked my way all the way through the ranks, did four years in Europe, got to the top of the tree there, transferred over here to America. It was very different culture-wise, so quickly realized it wasn't going to be a good fit for me long-term. And then I started my own business back in 2016, which is Together CFO, initially as a fractional outsourced CFO, which was really tough. And it challenged me in a lot of different ways because i didn't really know how to scale it. I was good at finances and numbers and interpret them, but wasn't good at sales or marketing or operations. Like the full 360, I was very incomplete. But luckily for me, very early on, we had a huge client success. We took one of our first clients from 5 million a year in revenue to 10 million a month in revenue. And that created a huge tax problem for him. So he then forced me into figuring that out, which took me out of my comfort zone because I wasn't a tax expert. I I knew numbers and I know how to explain complex numbers to non-financial people in really simple ways. That's really my skill set. So then it pushed me so far out of my comfort zone that I had to 
fix this problem that I've helped cause. A good problem, don't get me wrong. But still, sleepless nights, knots in the stomach, and long story short, then researched, learned, and figured out what the elite family offices and billionaires have been doing for decades and generations and repurpose that from an inception standpoint, because taking what they have now is too far down the line. I had to re-engineer it to the point of inception so that my client could then use those same techniques to save on his taxes. So fast forward or kind of rewind back that first year, we saved him around $12 million in taxes. I quickly realized that I could add a lot more value saving people on this tax strategy versus the usual loopholes that most entrepreneurs are using, whether that's cost segregations, real estate, depreciation, like they're changing all the time. These structures, yeah. they don't change all the time. And that's why the billionaires use them. So yeah, our purpose now is to help multi seven to nine figure business owners to reduce their taxes, protect their assets and set them up for generational wealth. It's all about legacy creation now. Yeah. Well, you shared a lot of things. I think, you know, we're very interesting. Um, you know, like a lot of people that work in finance or do real estate or other sorts of consulting or like what you do, help people with tax strategy and entities. Um, you know, I like how you said, you know, I did my time. I so many years in like a, you know, a, a certain company. Um, let me ask you this. This is a little bit more kind of a basic question. Then we'll get into some more of the tax and the scaling and other things. But um, how did you discover that you were an entrepreneur? Obviously, when you're working for someone else, uh, you know, you're working, you're, you're, you're grinding. I mean, I had this thing, I was in medical sales for 10 years. I was making good money. I was a top performer. Um, but you know, I just, I thought, man, I'm making so much money for someone else. And I'm really doing a time for money trade. Like when did you at first hit you that I want to get out of this? I want to do my own business because this just doesn't seem like a good path. You know, quite honestly, it didn't even occur to me because I was tied in on a H-1B visa as soon as I got here to America. So I knew for the first three, four years, I couldn't leave anywhere because I'm tied into the company. But I also knew that the culture of the company wasn't aligned with me and that I needed to find another solution. And it was at that point I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And, you know, right. it's the old cliche classic, but it just made me think differently. I got really heavily into Tony Robbins, Jim Rohn, mm -hmm. and personal development overall, because I knew at that point I wasn't going to stay in the company long term. Up until then, I was a company man. I've been with them yeah. since university for four years. I'd relocated three times all the way in throughout Europe and then to America. Like, imagine that. Um, yeah. I'm the company guy. This ended me all over the place to fix problems and kind of work my way up the ranks, which I did relatively quickly. I was the youngest financial controller for FlowServe when I started. And it was like, oh, wow, that's a lot of responsibility for a young guy. Right. But eight years, right? I committed a long time to this company. I thought that was it. I'm, oh, I made the dream. I made it to America. It's amazing. I live in LA. Like the sun's always shining. But the culture of the company kind of pushed me out because they didn't really play very well over here. It was more like Shark Tank. In Europe, we got on fantastically. My old manager was like a second father figure to me. That's how close we were. Wow. I used to have dinner with him, his wife, and his kids because we were that tight. And I missed that connection when I moved here. So it was like, I want to recreate something that close-knit in my own business now because that's how, how I like to be. Tret as an employee, and it's not just an employee. I treat it as family. 
No, it, it actually is interesting. A lot of people have read that purple book and it just, you know, if you're a reader and a learner and I love the personal development stuff you shared. I mean, I went through a divorce six years ago, unfortunately, but it led to the most dramatic personal growth I've ever been through. And it just, you know, I was, I was able to 25 X my net worth, become a, you know, a seven figure person. And just, it was just, it, you know, the things that opened up to me were just really both surprising and just interesting. But Tony Robbins has that quote, right? It's in your moments of decision that your destiny is shaped. And it's like, the more I've invested in those areas, the more it leads to growth in other areas. And that, I think it leads right into what we're doing here on the Mailbox Money Show and financial education is helping people to find ways, you know, a lot of times we hear about something that sounds too good to be true. Like, oh, how can I pay zero taxes? Well, it's like, well, maybe I need to learn about that rather than just dismissing it immediately is understanding that there are ways that people do this. And you mentioned, um, coming back to what you were sharing earlier, the secrets of the wealthy. I think this is a topic that everybody finds interesting, right? That these people like Bezos or these people, they have structures and entities in place. They can pay almost zero taxes, even Warren Buffett and other groups. And they all say, oh yeah, we should tax people higher. But really who that falls on or be like, if you were a CPA or controller in a business or you're a higher earner, um, then that falls on you. But if you're an investor, there are ways to be able to reduce or even eliminate taxes. But what are what are things that, you know, I guess people can do that, uh, you know, I, let's, let's start with this. If, if somebody is a high earning employee, because we have a lot of physicians or people that maybe own businesses, they have some write-offs or things, but what, what are some just examples, some structures you kind of work with folks to set up that are kind of not well known? So yeah, the, the main one that we do and the best one by a country mile is called complex trust structure. And that that's key because most professionals don't even know what that is, let alone like the person on the street. So if your professional who files your taxes doesn't know what a complex trust is, what chances the average or not even the average, the accredited investor have of knowing it because you're only going off how good your CPA is or how good your lawyer is. So a complex trust is the main trust that all billionaires have. And it's so different because you probably heard of a trust. You probably heard of a simple living trust. It's the most popular trust that most professionals use maybe 99% of the time. It's always a simple living trust, but that's not what the elite use. They don't use the same structures and loopholes as everybody else. They think very differently and their needs are very different. If you're a billionaire, you've got a lot more money that you need to strategically protect than if you're a multimillionaire, than if you're just a person working on the street, right? It, there's levels to everything. Right. So is this similar to an asset protection trust or sorry, is it, is it a different thing than an asset protection trust or is it a complex uh, yeah, trust the same different. thing? So to understand what a complex trust is, you need to understand firstly what a simple trust is. A simple trust is you have to distribute everything out of a simple trust. So that means the beneficiary of that trust will be taxed on however much that distribution is. You cannot accumulate corpus in a simple trust and you do not get any charitable deductions in a simple trust. In a complex trust is the complete opposite. You can accumulate corpus, which ultimately means you can you don't have to have all of the money be distributed to the beneficiaries. It can stay in the trust and it can then be invested. And by doing that one change, that gives you so much more protection and so many more possibilities with a complex trust. Because you can, let's say a million dollars comes in, you can invest a million dollars and you get a deduction for that full million dollars. Whereas in a simple trust, you don't. Whereas in an LLC, you don't. So because of the entity type and the structure type and the rules and regulations are different, 
in a complex trust under common law versus statutory law versus LLCs versus S-Corps. They all have their own rules and guidelines. From an accounting standpoint, it's semi-familiar. You have gap accounting at the business entity level. But at the trust world, you have trust accounting, which is completely different again. So you can choose the jurisdiction in which you want to play in. And then you can also choose the accounting rules based on the entity type. So it starts getting down into these subsets of subsets of subsets. But the key subset is the complex trust. If you have a complex trust structure, it's a non-grantor type trust. It's irrevocable. And the subsets just keep going on and on and on. But that's the key to having, think of it as building the foundation on a house. If you build the right type of foundation, you can build a house or a hotel or a mall or whatever structure you like. But if your foundation isn't strong enough, isn't big enough, then it's going to start cracking. And then there's going to be some problems later on. Right. It's like the old proverb, you know, building your house on the rock versus on sand, right? So you have a good foundation. I think for a lot of investors, myself included, sometimes we hear about trust. I mean, there's like so many different types of trust and it feels kind of onerous to get in and, and really learn all this. So it's great knowing someone like you and your team to be able to do this. But what is the, a couple of questions, like what, if I, if somebody was going to set up a complex trust, what would be kind of generally, you know, obviously everybody's different, but kind of like a net worth minimum. Is it this people typically that are worth over 5 million? Is this people that are net worth over 2 million? And what are the costs kind of generally for something like this? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough question to answer because everyone's situation is different. To work with us, as an example, we only help clients that have a tax liability over $200,000 or approaching very close, or in the case of capital gains, expecting to have that event happen, and we'd restructure them ahead of that event happening. So as an example, if they were to buy some multifamily real estate with you, do a good deal, then before that exit happens, you'd want to restructure it so that the entity was owned by the trust, because we can... Similar to a 1031 in real estate, with the trust structures that we use, you can indefinitely defer the capital gains. But the beauty about doing it in a trust is that there's a lot less red tape compared to a 1031, where you've got to do a t- like-for-like asset within X amount of days, and you've got to hit all these parameters. All of that goes away with a trust. You get to reuse that money, whichever asset type you like, whenever you like. So again, there's lots of different things going on, but... I would say yeah. that the complex trust is by far the best vehicle out there to get those types of benefits from asset protection, generational wealth, tax reduction. It can all be done in like creating a set of these trusts. So uh, I think it's, you know, it's amazing how knowledge is power. Um, now you're coming to speak at our event, the Advanced Real Estate Investing Summit, along with Ken McElroy and Neil Bawa in the fall, October 20th in Los Angeles. It's going to be awesome. So uh, we're getting information kind of ready so people can can check that out. But I'm always amazed at how this type of information and just the reason I share about the event, actually, we were going to call this event, we were going to make it a tax strategy event, and it was going to be called the Zero Tax Investing Summit. And then we met with a guy who works with a lot of family office, kind of a tax consultant similar to you, and he works with family offices, large family offices. And he said, well, are you, go- are you going to be advertising this event to the public? And I said, yes. And he said, well, I can't go. And he said, the IRS has known to when you have an event like this where someone's educating the public about some of these tax avoidance or deferral strategies, they've been known to actually audit to see who's there 
or, you know, I subpoena the, the hosts and find the attendee list and audit all the people that are there. And I thought, oh my gosh, I don't want to do this because if I did, all these people showing up could get audited. So we changed it to obviously a different focus. But, um, you know, let's talk for a minute about private groups. Because I know you and I met through a private group. There was a private investor group. People pay 50, 60, 70K a year to be a part of it. They do get tax strategy. They get entity help. I know you work with one in particular. We're, we're looking at potentially starting our own. Uh, but, you know, what, what, what do you think about these particular groups that are starting up? Do you think if someone's high net worth, it's worth considering? Or should they just go kind of get these services piecemeal? Or can you talk a little bit about kind of, you know, obviously, if, if somebody has 5 million in net worth, should they consider that? Or just, I guess we'd love to know what kind of generally what your, what's your opinion on those type of groups? I'm a huge proponent of it. The way I see it is, and we can go back to Tony Robbins, your network is your net worth. And Jim Rohn and all of these like thought leaders, they all say the same thing because proximity is power, right? If you're around good people, generally speaking, they'll elevate you to the next level and help you become better. And then it's the same with mentorship. We all have had mentors in our lives and I can speak personally, I've got billion, three different billionaires that are my personal mentors. And the way that they've helped me think through things and solve problems much quicker is help me escalate my net worth tenfold. Just because I know I can lift up a phone and have a quick conversation or have a cigar or like go for dinner, whatever it is to get what I need to. But I'm getting the advice of someone who's been there, done it got the t-shirt and the wall wounds and everything in between. So I can learn from their mistakes rather than having to make my own mistakes. So when you say, uh, what do I think of these groups? I personally, I mean, lots of them. I probably spend two to $300,000 a year, part of masterminds and groups just to work on myself from a business perspective. I've got my own mindset coach as well on top of the masterminds just to keep me tuned up. Joe Polish, yeah. good friend of mine. Uh, he gives the analogy of the, the million dollar racehorse. And I and I told him to change it because we're billion dollar racehorses. We're not just million dollar racehorses. But he goes along the lines of saying, if you had a racehorse that was a billion dollar racehorse, winning every race, it was amazing, you were studying it, what would you do for that horse to keep it in prime condition? You would give it the best food. You would have the best trainers. It would have the best conditions, the best travel, Everything would be amazing, right? Mm -hmm. But we don't treat ourselves like that billion-dollar yep. racehorse. Yet yeah. we are, right? So we got to stay tuned. we got to take care of our wealth, our health, our mindset, then our families. Because if we're not solid here, then we're not going to be able to do that. So being part of these groups, masterminds, whether what, whatever type of coaching it is, I'm a huge proponent of it, and it's helped me go from seven figures to eight figures really quickly yeah. because I'm learning from other people. No, it, it truly, I can't, you know, underscore what you said enough. I mean, it's, you know, your, your network is your net worth and, and really you know, the proximity, you know, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And now I, I spent about a hundred K a year just getting in the room with great people. And, and I've just found it's just so, so beneficial. I mean, you think in the beginning, and I think for a lot of folks listening, if they haven't joined, particularly somebody who's had a business or as an investor, uh, they're just amazing. I mean, people find get really get access to amazing deals or amazing information. And I've seen, you know, just being in the room, I've, I've found partnerships that I made a million dollars off of, right? Literally, that's just, that's literally happened or more. And so, um, you know, it, it really, really is, is something that's exceptional. Um, let's talk for a minute about um, today. Obviously, you know, we're talking, you know, in real estate in particular, things have changed with rates being higher. I know you're an investor, 
beyond, you know, what you do in your business. You're also, you know, consulting people on tax strategy and you're looking at deals and things like this. Uh, do you have any concern? What, I guess, what are, what are some things you're personally doing these days? Are you invested in, in real estate? Are you looking at other things? Are there, what, what, what sort of deals are you finding opportunities in or what sort of things are you looking at personally? Yeah, real estate's been tough recently. Um, so I've kind of slowed down a little on that. I've done some investing on some early stage startups, just invested in a, a platform called School with Sam Ovens, because uh, I was part of his, again, great example of what you're saying. I was part of his mastermind, built a relationship, and then he offered a seed round to the participants of the mastermind to invest in the platform. So if I wasn't in the room, I wouldn't have got the opportunity to be part owner of School. So right. it goes to show you, it definitely does pay to be in the right rooms, right? Um, but what I'm doing right now, again, a little bit more angel investing in startups, um, slowed down on real estate, Big, still big in self-storage. That's kind of my, my favorite asset class. I love that. Uh, just because it's absentee owner, passive income, and it's like a Netflix subscription. Once they have it, nobody really gets yeah. rid of that. Um, yeah. Gold, Bitcoin. Uh, and then I've eased up on stocks. I've kind of think the stock market, again, not in the, issuing any financial advice here, but just giving my opinion <laughs> on what I'm doing. Uh, sure. I think the stock market is overvalued right now and will continue to go down. So uh, I eased up on that. So I, I'm a big proponent of a diversified portfolio. And then I do dollar cost average. So that's kind of keep it simple between those asset types. Yeah, I think that's great. Uh, what's one thing that you uh, wish you had known sooner? Uh, or I, I, actually, let's, let's back this up a second. A lot of investors, uh, you know, it can be kind of overwhelming to, okay, I know I need to reduce my taxes. I know I need to find better investments. Um, obviously, they can work with your group directly on this. There's groups that do what you do. But uh, I guess what's, what's, one, what's one thing you see a lot of investors, like when you start working with them, you're like, oh, this is like a major thing. Obviously, the trust one is a big one. Uh, are there some other kind of like red flags that you see often when you work with business owners or you work with high earning individuals? Yeah, I think a lot of people abuse their LLCs or their business entities, commingle funds, and a lot of personal funds that are getting written off as company funds that aren't really correct. So just to be really careful of that, because if you are audited, you are going to have to produce some type of records. So it's better to do it right at the beginning in the first place, rather than have to recreate it. It's really painful to go through all that. And it's going to cost you a lot more money than just being organized in the first place. So getting into good habits from the beginning is really important not to push the boundaries too much. And again, this gets really tough because when we look at loopholes, we can use conservation easements as a prime example. Recently, great loophole. A lot of people used them. Even more people abused them to the point at which the IRS then changed the rules on them and then audited everyone. So even though they're setting the rules and they're saying you can do A, B, C, D, they can still change what they think and audit you and fine you and all this other craziness. So it's even more important, the higher that net worth goes up to create a structure. So you've got a solid foundation compared to using the loopholes, which is a house built on sand. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's, um, you know, it's amazing how knowledge is power. And just by doing things correctly the first time, you know, a lot of times people is like, well, I didn't know this, or I didn't know this was the case, or I didn't know 
uh, this would happen. Do you also advise people on like giving them, uh, and I guess it's, it's a little bit, I'm not sure how this works and what you do as, as a consultant and your company comes in, but do you also help people with deal flow or is that something that you more kind of say, you know, this is the type of asset we look for and you need to find it on your own or how does that kind of work from what you guys do as a consultant? No, we, we stay in our own lane. I, I get asked this question all the time and I definitely should do more stuff like this, but quite <laughs> honestly, I just like to be the top 1% in the world at what I do and stay in my blue ocean before it turns red. So from an investment standpoint, from an insurance standpoint, from a stock stock, we don't do any of that. We have amazing people that we can plug, connect people to, but I don't get involved in any of that because I solely focused on asset protection, wealth transfer, and saving people money on taxes rather than wealth accumulation because there's better people at that, like yourself as an example, right? That does that day in and day out and you know a good deal and you know a good piece of real estate compared to me looking at a deck. I'm just going to look at the numbers and the demographics and I'm going to look at it more as an investor. Hey, does this make sense? Does the team work? Have they done it before? All right, I'm good with that. Let me throw a couple hundred K in it versus right. having to be the guy that's doing the, the due diligence and writing the OM on that. That's that's a whole job in itself. So I wouldn't do it justice if I did it. And I wouldn't want to underserve my clients. So rather than kind of become a full family office, we are one slice of the pie of the family office, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, it's great to have to be a specialist in what you do. And I think for people, especially if you know, you know a lot of people, I know a lot of people, and just really focusing on what you do and 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 be really good at that and continue to grow. And I know the tax laws change all the time. I talk to my CPA, it's like things are changing all the time. And it's really important to, you know, keep up on that. And especially, especially for people that are higher net worth, it's just the stuff that people can do. I've watched people come in and make a, a, a tax plan. I know a guy, his wife was a Fortune 1000 CEO, and he did some real estate stuff on the side. And they found from his job, which was in medical sales, somewhat of my background, he'd be making more money. He was making like 200K a year or something, but he'd be making more money to leave his job. Uh, and he'd be actually taking home more money because he could be a real estate professional. And so there's things that are like that, that you know we call them loopholes, or I just call them incentives, right? These are incentives the government provides to help people to um, you know, to really do where the knowledge really is power. Um, before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you, uh, Casey, um, I know you have an international background as well. You grew up in Europe and, and whatnot. I know the U S is a huge place where a lot of international investors come. Is, is, is it primarily because of the property rights issue or is it because of leverage or what are some of the reasons that, um, people find the U S attractive and do you find any other places internationally that U.S. investors should consider, or is everything here that we really need to be able to, you know, grow and preserve wealth? Well, I don't know about others. I can tell you why I find it so attractive. It, it was the weather. Like I grew up watching TV, <laughs> and LA was always on there. So when I got the chance to to move out here, I grasped it with both hands. But I think moving here and being here now for eleven plus years, it's it really is the land of opportunity. People might not think that that's the case, but they probably haven't lived many of the places in the world where the opportunities that you can create for yourself here are still far better than anywhere else in the world, in my opinion. So that's why there's such a big demand to move to America, to live the American dream. Whatever is going on in the economy, good, bad, or indifferent, it still trumps everywhere else being right here. So that's why it's so difficult to get a working visa or a green card and 
and actually do it. So the people that do get that opportunity should definitely grab it with both hands and, and make the most of it. Yeah, for sure. No, that's great. Well, Casey, I appreciate all the value that you add. I'm really excited to have you at our Advanced Real Estate Investing Summit, October 20th uh, in Los Angeles. You're going to be there. Really excited to have you there. How can people connect with you and reach out to you? Yeah, so I'm sure you'll put the links below, but it's togethercfo.com. And that's the same on all social media platforms as well. Go check out um, our website. There's some cool videos on there. And then we also have a free school community so that if you want to use the top 50 loopholes, that you should be using, we've got a free PDF that we can give away to all your uh, listeners. That's awesome. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. I appreciate you being here today and looking forward to seeing you soon, hanging out in LA and maybe grabbing some food, but I uh, appreciate you being here. Casey, thanks so much. Anytime, buddy. Thanks for having me. All right. So I come back to that quote uh, from this interview of, you know, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. There's so many ways to save and reduce taxes. You know, my background, I talk about this a lot, medical device sales, worked with a lot of physicians, you know, a couple of physicians that worked very closely with that made over $2 million a year each. And we're paying a lot in taxes, right? And so, and they were working crazy hours. So the idea is both developing passive income as well as reducing taxes, right? Those are the two things, right? If you can do those things and there's things that in regards to entity protection. So uh, check out Casey's stuff, uh, stellar upstanding guy and some great networks I'm in as well. And uh, togethercfo.com, you can check him out. And, uh, but anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode. We'd love to see you in the comments or if you want to email me, Bronson at Bronson Equity, let me know what you thought. Always looking to continue to add to the value of this show. And uh, uh, if you haven't joined us or join our investor club, we're doing stuff that's really unique. Uh, these days, we're doing stuff in ATM machines, car washes, and oil and gas for accredited investors, all of those. Um, so if you're interested, reach out on our website, bronsonequity.com. Thanks for taking the time to educate yourself. We'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Mailbox Money. You've been listening to the Mailbox Money Podcast. For more free resources, articles, and videos, go to bronsonequity.com. There you can download your copy of the special report, The Single Best Investment Strategy During and After a Pandemic. None of the information shared here is an offer to buy a specific investment, and this is for educational purposes only. Consult your financial, legal, and tax professionals and use your own common sense before making any investment decisions. Thanks for joining us, and be sure to tune next time for more Mailbox Money.